Radio TFS, episode number 145. This is Greg Duncan. And this is Martin Woodward. Hey, we're back, hey. Martin. How are you doing, sir? Good to be back. I'm doing outstanding. I have to say the new podcast recording software is working great. I'm very happy with it. The audio quality seems much improved. So, yeah, we'll keep with it, I think. Yep, absolutely. It's making my life a lot easier, that's for sure. Cool. So what so, we got on the show Martin, today? Oh, well, we've got an interesting guest. Somebody is kind of different um, in a good way. <laughs> uh, so, but we've, we've been actually looking at this. Angela suggested this is to get some people outside of our normal bubble. You know, maybe somebody who's not on the, uh, an FTE at Microsoft, maybe not even an MVP or even an, uh, an ALM champ. Just somebody but is still in the industry and get them on and get that fresh voice on it. And we've got that today. We've got Matt Honeycutt on. Yeah. Matt is an independent software architect specializing in ASP.NET web applications, particularly ASP.NET MVC. He has over a decade of experience in building and testing web applications. Matt also loves test-driven development and is the creator of both Specs4 and Specs4.mvc frameworks. He has served as the lead developer on numerous multi-million dollar software projects and enjoys finding elegant solutions to difficult problems. As a lifelong learner, Matt remains dedicated to expanding his knowledge of all things related to development. Matt also holds a Master's of Computer Science, Master's of Science in Computer Science, and he's published papers in research journals and conferences on topics ranging from data mining and machine learning to human-computer interaction. Matt lives with his wife and three children in beautiful Tennessee, where he spends his days as a freelance software developer and author for Pluralsight. When he's not busy cranking out code or chasing down the kids, Matt enjoys helping others hone their development skills. We'll have Matt's blog, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Pluralsight links in the show notes. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. A little nervous, a little intimidated because, like you said, I'm not your typical guest, but I'm still very excited to be here. Well, after hearing that uh, bio read, then you shouldn't feel nervous at all, right? <laughs> We're all good here. Don't worry. So, Matt, I can't wait to get into the interview. Actually, I've got some questions for you already. So, uh, should, we, should we get through the news, Greg? Yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's do the news. I was working on last week and past few weeks um, with the Amazon team was uh, the Amazon team have announced the AWS tools for VSTS. Um, so Steve Roberts and the gang have uh, have been done a couple of blog posts about that now. And this is awesome stuff. It's, you know, I know a few people have been asking, hey, um, you can deploy to Azure really well. But, uh, you know, what if I deploy to AWS? And that's possible now. So, um, yep, you can get the tools and they're supported by the Amazon teams themselves. The story behind this one's actually quite interesting. Um, it actually was a Rangers project originally, an ALM Rangers project originally. And then, you know, the team were about to publish and I was like, hey, should we go talk to Amazon and see if they want to have, a, you know, see if they want to sort of do a code review for us and see what they think. And they took a look and they were like, hey, this is cool. Can we contribute? And I was like, yeah. Do you want to publish them? And they were like, okay. <laughs> so it was quite a nice, you know, Rangers project that became an open source project that's now become uh, an extension in the store. So, yeah, very, very, very cool to see. And while we're on this uh, topic, um, there's also, we've done quite a few improvements to the Jenkins integration um, in terms of getting, you know, Jenkins being able to talk to Azure and be able to deploy to Azure app services. Um, you can now also quite easily fire up a Jenkins VM. And, you know, if you want a Jenkins build agent, you can do that if you want to create your own. Uh, that's awesome. We support that. And being able to hook into the build and the release pipelines as well, you know, and be able to talk to the VSTS Git or TFS Git from Jenkins um, as well as TFEC and uh, have that as the build part of the server and then go into the release pipeline and still get the end-to-end -end traceability of work items and things. That's all now supported. So there's a blog post we'll link to from Preachy Chan around um, the deploy to Azure App Service Jenkins plugins and a few bits more. So take a look at that. So Matt. One of the, the things we wanted to talk about when we get to the discussion is about how you're using VSTS for non.NET projects. When Where are you deploying your projects to? So actually, I'm mostly an Azure person. So almost at this point, I think almost 100% of my stuff that runs, you know, 
server side anyway, is all deployed in Azure in some form or hey, fashion. Hey, as a now, Microsoft shareholder, that makes me feel very happy, so no need to apologize. <laughs> right. Uh, but, I, you know, I do have, uh, you know, I guess we can talk more about this later, but, you know, I do have um, some, like, Java code that I work on, you know, unfortunately. Uh, but that, you know, runs on an actual physical device. So, you know, deployment strategy for that is totally different from, you know, what you typically see with, like, a web application or something like that. Cool. So no AWS for you then? No, but I am very excited to see that this is becoming easier because, you know, I, I do love Azure, but I AWS is something that I would like to dip my toes into more. And the fact that I can use the tools that I'm already familiar with and that I'm already using to deploy to Azure and start test or to AWS and to test some of those things out, that's very exciting. You know, just lowers the barrier to int- of entry that much more. I think from our yeah, point and, of view, you know, sorry, from our point on. of view, I was just going to no, say on. when it's um, – you know, when we say any app, any developer, any platform, we really do mean it. You know what I mean? VSDS is a developer collaboration platform. And if if you can't talk to developers, then you've failed at collaborating. So it's very important to us to get, get that out. And we even have a plugin. There's a plugin we're working on with um, Google for GCP, which is actually available over in Google's GitHub account. It's not in the marketplace yet because they're still doing some testing on it and stuff. But you can install it in your TFS instance if you want. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's very important to do that. And, you know, I'm a long time advocate of the java developers within vsts and tfs and the you know the non.net developers and things as well as the.net people so it's cool to see things are changing and getting better all the time yeah and that was exactly the point that i was going to make this is just another example of you know how open the vsts is and you know even though amazon microsoft you know the cloud services are, are competing but still uh, this view of reality i think that's the thing i like about microsoft it's like it's it's the looking at it in the real world. Well, it's more what's what's right for the customers. You know, if a customer wants right. something, then we should make that happen. If it, if we're helping a customer be more successful, then we should make that happen, regardless of you know who happens where, where they happen to be deploying to and things. So I think that's the big change is and and that's happening more and more. You know, is the is it. it is the customer focus of the company as a whole. Brian Harry's org and TFS and BSTS was always fairly customer obsessed, but it's kind of, you know, infecting Microsoft and other divisions inside the company now, which is, is great to see. So anyway, we'll get through the news, try and quite quick so we can talk to, talk to Matt. (laughs) Well, with the good comes the bad. Uh, Uh Greg Bauer, 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 but anyway, Greg Bohr. Bohr. It's even as in, civil, as in civil engineering. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, posted about the future of TFS and SharePoint integration, and essentially, you know, the TLDR is that it's going away. It's being depreciated. Uh, the next major release of TFS will no longer offer the TFS extension for SharePoint. Uh, and there's a number of caveats and and whys and what's the impact. And we'll have the links in the show notes. But just <sighs> the time has come. What do you think, Greg? Is that going to affect you at all? No, not really. Yeah. It would have years ago because that's where we've put – and that's where he talks about. You know, That's what was our document store. But we're not storing our stuff there now. We're storing it in Office 365 and SharePoint Online. And, and personally, yeah, it's this is one of those just like when they depreciated uh, team rooms. You know, If it's not going to get the love and the update and it's not going to work for VSTS, then, yeah, I'm fine with this. Okay. Cool. Hey, well, you know, feedback's important to us, so do give us your feedback. Mm-hmm. And how about that for a seamless segue into Brian Harry's blog post around taking feedback? And this is something is it, this is an unusual one for Brian, you know, he, and he even said as much in his blog post about, um, hey, you know, he's he caught him in kind of a reflective mood and he decided to write about it because, you know, as a corporate vice president, he mustn't have enough work to do or something and decided to spit out a thousand word blog post and something that was very insightful, but never mind, doesn't make me feel inadequate at all. And um, we talked <laughs> about how he, his attitude to feedback and it's really interesting having worked for Brian for, gosh, uh wow i've worked with brian for over a decade now um like 12 years now i guess and so um it's very much his approach and seeing how brian himself has sort of changed his style and you know adjusted how he does things is fascinating seeing when he chooses you know because i you know know him quite well and then seeing seeing when he chooses to give feedback and when he chooses not to is interesting um but also what's what's great 
and a tip I always give to new people when they're learning to work with Brian is um, make sure you listen to him when he's giving you feedback because he's chosen to talk. So, uh, you know, listen, because the thing, nothing annoys Brian more than him trying to give you feedback and you like trying to brush him off or trying to not sound like you're, you know, or sounding like you're not hearing him properly because then he'll get angry. But uh, up until that point, he doesn't mind you making mistakes as long as when, you know, you get feedback, you're like, oh yeah, that's a good point and blah, 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 you know, and not not not, not just the yes stuff, you know, you might have already thought of that and, and, and be able to explain why, um, why that was a dumb idea. But quite often it's like, oh yeah, good point, you know, and then um, you go away, think about it, come back to him you know so yeah it, it was a good post so very good cool yeah that's um, awesome sorry cat chime in on that one no it's okay matt anytime man sure so i actually really really liked this post um, i was glad to see that he wrote it up it's actually something i've wanted to post about too but um, at least for software developers if you think about it we are constantly receiving feedback and some of it is negative. You know, every bug report that comes in, you can kind of look at that as negative feedback. You know, you can take it as, hey, I screwed something up. And I've noticed, you know, both of myself and in other developers on other teams I've worked with, there's almost like an adversarial reaction to a bug report, you know, which is that's a that's a bad reaction to have to any feedback, you know, that instantly uh, puts things in a, in a bad position. So, you know, I think taking Brian's approach and applying that to how we as developers handle feedback, whether it's a bug report or a feature request or somebody just saying, you know, hey, I don't like the way this screen works or how this form's laid out, instead of immediately jumping to, you know, technical reasons for why it works that way or trying to, you know, kind of defend yourself for why that bug's there, you know, I think it's an opportunity to have a conversation about, you know, what happened, look at, you know, what you can improve going forward or see, you know, what the customer is trying to do that you can improve on in the software. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, his whole post was awesome. And I'm really glad to see he wrote that up. Definitely. And, and you do have to suppress that natural urge to, you know, get defensive and it is totally natural. But um, one of the things I love about the team is that it's a very, um, people don't have to get defensive, you know, it's like, mistakes are tolerated as long as you don't do them three times you know what i mean like as long as you learn from them and show that you've learned from them and how you're going to improve things in the future like trying things and failing is is not not a bad thing at all as long you know as long as you finish the day smarter than you started a day then it's been a good day as far as as far as the org's concerned and um you can really see that culture you can see how it's come about based on Brian's, you know, the way Brian sort of uh, explains the way he thinks about things. So it's good to see. So, you know, we've been talking about um, VSTS, High Fidelity, Database Import. We had the great show yeah. on that one. And we talked about this at Build, too. And one of the suggestions at Build was that, um, you know, if you've got one collection, and all your projects are in that, but you don't want to migrate everybody over, that you clone your collection – rip out the projects that you don't want to move. Basically, that's the way you can split your collections up to prepare them for, you know, or part of them for uploading to VSTS. Well, Chaminda's got a great post about cloning your TFS servers, a series of posts, and he talks about just that. Or maybe you're doing a hardware upgrade. Uh, you're experimenting with other TFS. He's got already three posts out, like backing up and restoring the databases, preparing the restored databases, configuring the application tier. All of these are up. Lots of pictures, great posts on it. So if you're thinking about doing that, you have to check out these posts and we'll have the links in the show notes. Very cool. Um, Sam Guggenheimer did a blog post about the new DevOps self-assessment that's been posted. And What's really good about this is, is that it's um, it was done in collaboration. You know, Sam's obviously a luminary when it comes to DevOps, but he did it in collaboration with uh, Nicole Ferguson and Gene Kim. Again, both luminaries in the field. And um, it's really good to see, you know, you go along, you do a free self-assessment and it kind of gives you a score on your team's maturity when it comes to like DevOps practices and things and where you might want to go invest in training or tooling or you know where you might want to go look at that stuff and we were talking a bit about openness one of the things I love about this is um, they used a lot of the research from uh, uh, the state of DevOps report which was done by the DevOps Research Association so DORA um, and with Puppet 
um, so they publish that report annually. And Nicole's been leading that for years, and um, it, as well as doing, you know, taking all of this data and allowing you to do the research, it allows you to post that assessment back to Dora to allow them to do some industry analysis on it later. So not only are you getting from it. Um, you know, how am I doing as how are we doing as an org? You're also helping the industry figure out how the industry's doing as a as a body. So um, yeah, definitely worth a look at. That's a devopsassessment.net. Give it a try and uh, let us know how you do. How, how did you know that you were so good with the Dora thing? How it, is that like? I have never heard of that before. What the? I, the, I, did, I knew it was an acronym because it's all uppercase, but right. I um, clicked on the Dora link before I started reading the show notes and went and looked at what it stood for, is the honest answer. <laughs> All right. Okay, good. But no, <laughs> I knew of them as a group, but uh, yeah, I didn't know what it stood for. Okay. So, but it's, De- it's DevOps oh, Research good. and Assessment is what that stands for. So there you go. Now I don't feel quite so bad. Of course, yeah. now that I've aired it out to all, you know, 27 of our listeners. Yeah. No, it's people like... So Nicole's in there, but Jez Humble and Gene Kim, you know, the sort of uh, the like luminaries of, of of the DevOps space are all in there. So yeah, it's it's a good place to hang out. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, the next story is our post is something that Rod Rod Falinga. You've been emailing me. I was just I owe you an apology. You sent me an email like a week and a half ago asking for some help, and I thought I answered, but I didn't. I totally blew it uh, again. Try to start the day. You know, end the day smarter uh, than when I started it. Um, I'll send you more email later. But this post, I saw this and I thought of you. And that sparked me. Did I reply to you with this and realize that I didn't? This is from Angular First, which you wouldn't really necessarily think about VSTS, but it's sprint planning in VSTS. And it is a like getting started post. How do you do the sprint planning? And I know, Rod, this is part of your question about how do you do this kind of stuff? Stuff. How do you configure it? How do you get all the iterations uh, um, and areas? This post will walk you through that. Uh, won't go into it long, but it's not that hard. Once you see it written up like this, it, it's going to make it a slam dunk. So if you're looking to, to do that kind of work item management, sprint management, sprint planning in VSTS for yourself or for an entire team, we'll have the links in the show notes to this post. Very cool. Um, so the Rangers have been busy as, they, as always. I thought I would jump in with the Rangers post this, this week rather than Greg doing it for a change. So uh, the first one is around um, how VSTS makes makes helps make an enterprise agile. You know, and we all know that um, the, the tooling doesn't make the enterprise agile. The enterprise can use the tooling to become agile. And that's kind of the, the gist of the post, really. So have a read along. It's a short one, short read. The, the next one was one I found... Uh, a lot more interesting. It was around um, how the ALM ranges themselves have sort of transitioned how they work and become more DevOps focused, um, more DevOps orientated in their own practices. So the VSTS team have done this. And, you know, if you go to engineering.microsoft.com, you can see all about how different teams in Microsoft have become more DevOps focused. But this one's just a you know, fairly short but detailed write-up about how the, the ALM ranges have changed and how they've got more DevOps focused and sort of things they've been doing. And it, you can see it in the releases they're doing. You know, the release releasing releasing early and but releasing often on things a lot more and yeah it was just it was just interesting to see so um a couple of good posts there from the rangers this month this week cool well uh, before we get to matt i want to talk about this and i'm going to go really fast because uh, i really want to get talking to matt but there's two things that i wanted to, to okay uh, that i found since this last show one on tfs 2017 variables in your releases. Everybody knows, or hopefully you know, that you can have a variable at the release and a variable in the environment. The problem can be is that, and Oscar suggested that I bring this up in the show today. I showed this to him. He was like, wow, that's cool. The problem with environment variables, and if you have a lot of environments, trying to like grok what all of those are. You know, you're going to make a change or you want to review them all. And you know, I thought you'd have to go to the environment, click on the little ellipses, configure variables. Okay, there's one. And then go to the next environment, click on the little ellipses. And this is the old um, release definition editor. The new one makes this a lot easier. And then go to the next environment, next environment, next environment. Well, you don't have to do that. This is something that you would not normally see unless you're like clicking around. TFS 2017, go to the site, go to the releases, click on your release. Now, 
you will see the environments. There's a variables um, link, uh, four or five links over. Click on that. By default, it will show you the release variables. Top right, it'll say release variables. Well, that's a menu. Click on that. That will drop down a menu that says environment variables. If you click on environment variables, it will then show you all the variables for all of your environments in that release. And that will, you can, you can even edit them there too. So that will save you a, like a huge amount of time if you've got a whole bunch of environments. Go to the release variables, top right, where it says release variables, click on that and you can see all your environment variables. So that was something that was like jaw dropping. Something's just, you would have never found it if I hadn't like yeah, accidentally been clicking awesome. around. <laughs> yeah, cool. I just learned something new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me too, which is more, but anyway, carry on. Uh, the other thing is I, I, I'm raising my arms in, in, in success here in celebration. I created and deployed my first TFS build and release extension. Woohoo! Very excited about that. Now, it took me a couple of tries. One to the, com- one to the company. Uh, totally private. Yep, yep. That's cool. So it's internal. Yep. Uh, what we did, we talked about this before, is I've created a couple of uh, command line utilities to make deploying to our custom internal environments a lot e- easier. But the problem is, is that we were feeding those command line variables, uh, you know, in the arguments. So you'd have to know what the argument is. Basically, we're using the, the, the command line task and filling it in manually. Partial automation, Greg. There's no such thing as partial yeah, automation. Yeah, exactly. It's like being partially pregnant. You know, you always make mistakes. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, I, I fat fingered it for, for the last time. It's like, no, forget this. So I went out and I know that we talked about it even was an article from Will Smythe about the fastest way to create a new VSTS extension. So I went through that article and I did it on my machine and I used the Yo, this is the Yo generator. I used it to generate up my uh, extension and the associated task. Uh, First one I tried was PowerShell because I thought for some reason I needed to be PowerShell and I screwed that one up and threw it away. Did the next one in TypeScript and literally... In it couldn't have been an hour before I had my extension, the UI up, set up, option drop down options, had it you know executing the command line task, and I had this great and awesome extension for that command line utility. So my, now my users don't even need to know about this command line. They don't need to know about the arguments. They just put this extension in their uh, uh, build or the release, select the options with a little help and everything. It was like. They're done. I was so excited about that. The story that I'm getting there is that it's not that hard. If you're like me um, and you've been just dealing with the command line utilities, creating an extension really isn't that hard. Very cool. Uh, second point is that I was really very excited to meet it about is that so I've got the source code for this TFS extension in TFS. Well, and then I was manually deploying it from a desktop. Oh, no, 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 no. I had to rub some DevOps on that and uh, created a build for it. Went out and got the extensions that allow me to package and uh, publish to my local TFS gallery. So I created a release. And so now I've got the whole CICD setup for my tasks with all the different tasks. It's a very meta meta. It's just extremely awesome. Do you want to know something even more and, uh, that's coming up, Greg? Huh. So you'll be able to soon, you know what, how we talked a bit about this, um, how we're doing um, pipelines as code, you know, the YAML stuff for your build mm-hmm. pipelines and things? Yeah. Pipelines. yeah. You'll be able to set templates up there. And so I'm hoping, I don't know yet because it hasn't hasn't been built yet, but what I'm hoping to be able to see is um, you'll be able to set up like a template release type inside your org that uses your custom extension that can then you know then people don't even need to know to drag and drop stuff over just when they go file new and have a new one up there it's already in by default and they can delete it if they don't want it how awesome is that <laughs> nice yeah that would cool be awesome mm-hmm. right well, um, I'm glad, I'm glad yeah but the last one too that i want to shout out and i'm gonna give josh a hard time because he was supposed to be josh garver was supposed to be here and i wanted to give him a shout out that if you don't want to use the yo generator and do all the Node.js, Josh has a VSTS extension project extension or project template that you can put right in Visual Studio and create your tasks this way. You know, you can create the extension, create the tasks. And more importantly, the one thing I didn't like about the Yo that I couldn't figure out is to add 
an additional task. You know, generating it, the scaffolding the whole thing was fine, but I was afraid to use it to just add a new task to an existing um, extension. But uh, Josh's template handled that perfectly. Just right mouse click, add new item, create the extension or create the new task. And I was good to go. So, and we'll have links to all these in the show notes. The thing is, just don't be afraid. If you're that TFS admin or VSTS admin and, you know, it's not that hard. It really isn't. If I can do it, you guys can do it. I'm sure you can. All right. Enough of this. <laughs> so much for our quick news segment. We were going to do this in 10 minutes or less. Okay. We're in 28 minutes. Um, Matt. One of the things that, uh, <laughs> one of the things you want to talk about, um, with you is, uh, how you went from, uh, um, uh, the cube cage to full independence. Yeah. So it's a, it's a long story. Um, I really, my journey from escaping the cube cage, it really started back when I was still in college. You know, I think pretty early on, I had decided that the traditional 40 hour a week, full, uh, FTE, that kind of setup really wasn't for me. I really wanted more freedom to kind of pursue my own interests because they change pretty quickly. You know, I like writing in all sorts of different languages and platforms. So, you know, in college, I started out trying to kind of spin up my own business before I even graduated, just doing freelance website and app development and basically charging peanuts for it and never really making any money. So, of course, when I graduated, I made the transition, became a full-time employee and ended up, you know, leading uh, various projects over the years. But the whole time I'm doing that, um, I'm also still trying to build up this business on the side. And really, in hindsight, the biggest thing that was holding me back that entire time was really just fear. You know, I had plenty of opportunities. You know, looking back, there were plenty of opportunities where I could have gone ahead and made that switch and not had a steady full-time day job anymore and just done things as a consultant or a contractor. Uh, but really, you know, for me, it was the fear that was holding me back. I didn't want to give up that steady paycheck. You know, I was always worried like, oh, no, if, if I do this and this contract falls through and that one falls through, then, you know, my family's going to starve to death. You know, it's all really dramatic in my head. So, that led to me squeezing in all these little side projects and side contracts in after hours and on the weekends. And that's a really good way to burn yourself out. Um, I never burned myself out, fortunately, but in hindsight, there were definitely times when I, I think I got close. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing things exactly the way I did. But for me, what what really enabled me to make that transition was a few years ago, uh, I was you know, looking to make a switch in my career go, to go to a new job. And I found a company that was willing to let me uh, be very flexible with my work schedule. They were willing to let me do a four-day work week. I was still doing 40 hours a week, uh, but I was doing 10-hour days instead of the typical eight-hour day. Um, so that actually, and they ended up actually even let me take it further after I'd been there for a while. So I ended up, and it, it sounds bad, but you know, for me, it actually worked out pretty well. Um, I was actually doing, you know, a couple of 12 hour days and then, you know, less on the other days. So they were super flexible with me. And that actually gave me more time to focus on building up my consulting and my contracting on the side. Um, so that really, for me, that was a tipping point as, you know, there at the end, it got to where I had basically a full day and a half where I could focus on my side projects and consulting. And then, you know, the rest of the work week, I would, you know, spend doing the typical full-time employee type stuff. Um, so, you know, that was the probably the big tipping point. The other thing that really helped and um, that probably makes this a little bit atypical was at that same time, that's when my first Pluralsight course came out and I got, you know, super lucky. I was very blessed that that one did really well. So between stuff kind of taking off on the side and knowing that I had some plural site, you know, support to fall back on, that really kind of gave me the the guts to say, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, cut the cord. I'm just going to go full time consulting, contracting, and just see where things land. Uh, and I've been very lucky. You know, that was several years ago, and you know, here I am still uh, just full time consultant and contractor. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, uh, you know, that, that tipping point, finding that really flexible employer that was willing to work with me and give me that free time. That's the big thing that let me kind of make that transition. Um, so if, if for anybody else that's interested in making that transition, I think that's a big thing to look for is, you know, find somebody that is going to work with you and, you know, let you kind of set your own hours as long as you get your work done. And as long as you're, you know, getting in the right number of hours, that way you have that flexibility to kind of pursue your own interests. Yeah, that's very cool. A couple of questions. I was just going to say, just jump in. Two of the things I see is 
two things that hold people back are fear, uh, uh, just like you say, of the next paycheck, but another contract turns up. And ego is another one, you know, having this, having the status of working for a company that, like, people have heard of and stuff is, is, is sometimes quite cool. Um, but then... Um, undervaluing your own time as well you know when you're doing things as side projects and stuff yeah. it's very easy to undervalue how much you're worth and when you're doing it more full-time then you can't afford to do that so uh yeah that, that they're the the things i would i would learn and I, i'm interested i would like greg go on with your questions might but and then i've got a couple as well on this part well i have a, a co-worker who was interested in brought up plural site because i had a MVP box uh, uh, unboxing and you know I was talking to all the other guys the other team members about it and stuff and he asked about you know Pluralsight and getting started there what would you recommend to somebody today who would want to get started doing Pluralsight courses Matt so it's a little bit harder today just because they have so many authors now you know when I started out they were a much smaller company with a much smaller set of authors so it's kind of tough to find that that niche today to break into uh, but if somebody I would say if they want to become an author for plural site uh, I would recommend probably starting out with you know speaking at conferences and things like that just to get better at you know kind of telling that story to a group uh, you know plural sites a very different audience than your typical conference because you know your conference is live plural sites recorded of course but you know just being able to kind of develop that ability to talk and teach a technology I think that's that's really critical um, and once you do that once you're comfortable with that then the the next biggest challenge is really just finding something to do a course about you know plural sites always hunting for authors. You know, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I think, you know, if you're interested in doing a course with Pluralsight, you've got a technology or a topic that you feel very comfortable talking about and you're passionate about, you know, I'd say just bite the bullet and go talk to them. You know, that's what I did. I really had no experience doing that type of thing when I reached out to them and uh, they were very helpful and, you know, helping me figure out, you know, what I should do my course on, kind of narrowing that down, and then throughout the uh, the recording process, you know, giving good feedback to help me make my courses better and better. So, you know, I think they're a great company to work with, and if someone's interested in that, I'd say just reach out to them. You know, as soon as you feel like you've got that uh, topic or that technology that you want to talk about and you're passionate about, just go for it. And of course, like speaking at conferences and doing the Pluralsight training and things, that's they're all good calling cards if you want to become independent as well. You know, speaking at a local user group is great at like is a great calling card. And, you know, similarly with Pluralsight or even the book, I remember the number of people that would assume I was an expert on like TFS or VSTS because, I, you know, I'd help write the book and stuff. And all I did, I knew a very particular narrow niche really well. I didn't know all of it really well. I don't think anybody knows all of VSTS really, really well. But I knew my little narrow niche and that was enough to, to get me in the door kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think it helps, you know, if you want to go independent to be sure that, you know, you are known in the community, you know, so that people know, oh, hey, uh, you know, Matt Honeycutt, he knows about ASP.NET MVC, uh, or, you know, or Martin, he knows about VSTS, you know, that sort of thing to kind of have that association uh, definitely helps. Anything that you can do ahead of time, you know, blogging, I think is a great way still, even though I know blogs are probably not as popular as they used to be. But I think that's still a great way to kind of get your name out there and get visibility in the community before you make that switch and try to you know, build your own brand as your own consultant or contractor or whatever you're going you're gonna to pursue. Mm -hmm. So one we we originally got started talking by um, we were talking about like pull requests within VSTS. So you've recently started using the pull request features in VSTS. How 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 are you using them in your team and how are you finding them? How do you use them today? So the the big thing is mainly for for using them for code reviews. So every team that I work with, uh, going back to even when I was a full-time employee, I always tried to push the practice of doing peer reviews or code reviews um, for a couple of reasons. Um, so the, the big one, I think, is, of course, that it does improve the quality of the code. But another nice little side benefit is that you spread knowledge around the team. So, you know, if I'm reviewing code that you've pushed up, uh, that lets me see how you tackle and solve problems. So maybe I see an API that I didn't know about and I see how you're using it. And then I take that and I apply that to my code going forward. Um, so, you know, there's, I've always pushed that, 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 Hey, let's all make sure at least one other person's reviewed the code. Let's spread this knowledge around. I push that everywhere I've gone. So for companies that I work with today where I'm involved in that process, um, the Visual Studio code reviews, tools that they have built in, and the pull requests uh, support that they've got built in, um, those really help facilitate that process. Um, you know, you can go full on, you know, 
uh, branch policies that say, hey, nobody can directly commit the master. And you can say, hey, you got to have at least one other person review a pull request before it can even be merged in. Uh, or you can even take it further. You know, you can build in things that say, hey, a pull request has to go through this build, which might include running unit and integration tests and linting tools and all these other things to help you improve your code quality uh, before it can be merged in. And then, yeah, you can tack on the code reviews to that, too. And for me, the big thing you know, that, that uh, I think sets the VSTS experience apart from, from GitHub is really just the flexibility of the tools out there. Um, being able to peer review a pull request, I can choose to slice and dice that so many different ways that make it so much easier for me to you know, get a high-level picture of the net set of changes that a pull request is going to make and comment on the full thing, or I can drill down into a specific commit in that pull request if there are multiple commits and look at you know a specific change that was made or comment there. It's just so flexible that it really feels like the tooling you know, the, the, I'm using the tool, but the tool is in no way impeding my ability to review that code and provide good feedback. Very cool. One of the the sort of the key ways I try and help advise teams is to not lock things down too early. I think using branch policies to block master, if you've got a team of like more than about three people, then getting into the habit of not pushing to master is going to make everybody's lives happier, you know, just in terms of merging. merging. Um, so everybody just masters kind of, you know, masters the master. You just pull from master and then you go create your own branch, do some stuff and then get it back into master via a pull request. That's always a good way of working. And so if you do the branch policy first, switch that off, but then make it so you do a pull request into master. And that's how you get code into the master branch. That's how you do your integrations. And then the next thing I always recommend is after you've done that, Let's switch on the build stuff. So we actually build and run some tests, you know, do a CI build and run some tests against the pull request before the merge button. You know, don't don't block the build necessarily, but allow the pull request to run it. And again, it's hugely productive as you as a developer, because even if you end up pressing the merge button, which isn't a great practice, but even if you are the one that presses merge to get it into master because everybody else has gone home, at least you know the builds already ran and the unit tests have passed and, you know, it's kind of good. So you know that it's going to it's gonna pass the CI test kind of thing. So, yeah. And then from there, then that's when we go in to try and, you know, make it convention that the team doesn't merge their own pull request, you know, but don't lock it down and then only lock it down when you find you need to, you know, like don't like keep things flexible until you, until the point where it, be, it it's become a problem. Yeah. And that's really, I think one of the great things about BSTS is just that it is so flexible. So yeah, for a small team starting out, you can start out, you know, you don't even have to do pull requests and still be able to do code reviews. You can just say, hey, we're all going to push the master and you know, I've got a team that does this. You know, we're going to push the master, but somebody's going to go in and review that commit and you know, they're going to leave comments on it. And then if you need to fix something, it's a separate commit. But then as you know, that team matures, you can say, okay, let's lock it down, like you said, and let's make sure it's at least a pull request. And then later you can kind of evolve that to, okay, now we got an automated build. And, you know, I've seen, I've not used this, but I know there are capabilities in there to, you know, link in third-party external tools into that process too. So, you know, I think, like you said, it can kind of grow and uh, mature as your team grows and matures too, which I think is really awesome. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, keep, keep it lightweight, but just build up the sort of the safety rails as you go along kind of thing. It's just, it's cool. But this is a bit of inside baseball. This is one of those areas where we, we are significantly better in terms of how companies work than say GitHub and which invented pull requests, you know, GitHub were the ones that pioneered it. Um, and then, uh, but all the major Git hosting servers now have, you know, some form of pull requests. Um, Hours get used a lot in the teams in Microsoft. That is the primary form of code review for a thing like Git. And Microsoft uses code reviews heavily. And so because of all the investment to kind of make our code review processes work internally, as well as other tools that already existed inside of Microsoft, it kind of we turned around one day and looked and went, oh, wow, we, we've actually got an awesome experience. <laughs> it was sort of it was one of those things that kind of snuck up on us. We hadn't realized that we'd got. Ahead, as far ahead of a competition as we had, you know, in terms of flexibility and stuff like that. So a credit for the team for building it flexibly, because one of the things when you're, when you're building things like that, it's quite easy to build them so they only work for you and nobody else. So, you know, full credit to the team for building it in a flexible, composable way, but also it's, it, it's great to see. 
Yeah, and I totally agree. You know, if we'd had this discussion a year ago about the, you know, uh, BSTS, you know, code review process and just the UI and UX, you know, I probably would have described it as clunky. Uh, but, you know, it seems like probably really within the last eight months or so, you know, the thing has really improved and matured to, yeah, you know, I think it's, it is better, in my opinion, than, than GitHub for managing pull requests on a team. You all are making me jealous. Making me think that I keep, because I'm still a TFVC guy. Yeah, and the code review experience there is still client based and stuff. You know, it's not not got this fancy uh, pull request stuff. So, yep. The the other thing you see as well, Greg, with that, that Git gives you is because of a lightweight branching and the fact that the branching isn't path based, that the branching is repo wide. It makes it super easy to create feature branches. And then that's so what you do is you lock down master. So, you know, you're not having to do lots of merging there. And then you, you do a feature branch and then you often your feature branch is linked to a work item and then you merge that in and then it's done. And then you do the next one and the next one. And, and it makes it a lot easier then as well to be able to do, you know, work on a feature, send it to a pull request then leave it in the, it's getting code reviewed by somebody on the team state while I go and work on feature number two. And as long as feature number two doesn't build upon feature number one, you can actually do that without without any bother at all. So anyway, yep, be jealous. It's one of the reasons why 70% of the university is using Git nowadays. Um, so Matt, we, we mentioned the other non.NET projects. What kind of you, the What was the Java one that you mentioned? Is that going to like a device or something or...? Yeah, so this one for that particular project, we don't have automated deployments yet. So we're really just using the build portion of VSTS. You know, the the deployment process is still manual, although we do have plans to actually integrate the the deployment process into VSTS too. You know, we we think all the pieces are there. It's just a matter of we haven't, you know, sat down to actually do it yet. So this is a an IoT device, an Internet of Things device, and it's basically the client libraries or the client agent that runs on this little box. Um, and we do use the VSTS build tools to actually build the code, run all of our unit tests on it, and make sure everything looks good. And we do our code reviews through that exact same process. So, you know, we still go into VSTS, we comment on the commits, we let VSTS push out notifications that say, you know, hey, you've got feedback here, you need to go take a look at this. So we still are, it's really no different than a .NET project from that perspective. And setting it up, Honestly, it took me, uh, if it took me 30 minutes, I'd be surprised, you know, it was, you know, select the Maven task in VSTS when I was setting up the build, uh, provide the right couple of parameters it needed. And, you know, it just, it magically worked. It was really awesome. Very cool. And you're doing websites too, JavaScript apps? Yes. So for those, we actually do have, um, I've, I've set those up or they, the, the build tools are using uh, things like Gulp and Grunt and Webpack to actually build the client app, run specs and things like that to make sure everything passes. And then it just deploys it as an Azure website. So, you know, it sounds like with some of the new tools, we could actually even look at deploying to AWS or something like that, you know, just by changing the release definition, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, you don't just have to do, you know, .NET projects, you know, in the case of some of these client-side JavaScript projects. There is no Visual Studio solution. There's no CS, uh, CS proj file or anything like that. It's uh, you know a, a package.json file. Uh, it's some um, you know Gulp or Webpack uh, tasks to package everything up, and that's really the extent of it. And VSTS is perfectly fine uh, building those types of things too. Very cool. Hey, one of the what demos the, I want to try and build. The... Sorry, sorry, okay. just yeah. One of the things I want to build no, no, no. out for. Um... Uh, a demo i want i'm one you know so there's brian the build bunny which we'll put a link to in the show notes and he he no longer he's brian the build bunny's kind of dead at the minute because the back-end service he talked to is no longer there so i want to rip the guts of brian the build bunny out and replace it with a raspberry pi and then do a deployment to brian as a docker container and try and get that all get all that all going so that's one of the i'm on vacation this week so that's one of my uh one of my background tasks as well as rewriting the radio tfs website which i still need to get around to so we'll see i'll probably do the docker thing first i think um matt when i was on your website uh, one of the the posts uh, what's this with zombie hordes I just got to put it out there. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I am, as you probably could guess, I'm a zombie horror fan. You know, I, I like The Walking Dead. I read zombie books when I actually have time to, you know, read a fun book. 
Um, so this was just a little demo I put together, just trying to show off some of the new language features in JavaScript. Uh, so I just put together a little sample to show, you know, using JavaScript generators, you can actually generate an endless horde of JavaScript zombies uh, using syntax that, you know, for a .NET developer, it, it looks almost identical to, you know, enumerables uh, with yield return. Um, so it was just really to show that off, and I thought, you know, hey, zombies are fun, an infinite horde of, zombie ho uh, of zombies, that sounds kind of terrifying. Let's combine two terrifying things, JavaScript and zombies, and let's, you know, make this cool little sample. Now we've got three problems. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> very, very cool. One of the questions we like to ask guests is, uh, what is a day in the life of Matt like? <laughs> um, pretty boring, honestly, most of the time. <laughs> um, Honestly, it's really probably not that different from, you know, uh, even though I'm a consultant, uh, it's probably not any different from a normal full-time employee other than, you know, I don't have to actually drive to an office. Um, the cool thing is, you know, I can get up in the morning, I can get my kids ready, fix breakfast, and I can actually take them to school because I don't have to be at an office at 8 o'clock or anything like that. So I can take my kids to school, walk them in. Um, which is you know really huge for me because family is super important to me and that's one of the reasons I wanted that flexibility. Uh, but then after that, you know, it's uh, I'm in my home office, my, I'm heads down working on uh, code, you know, occasional meeting with a client throughout the day or with a team I work with throughout the day. Um, so it's pretty typical for me after that. Do you have any problems working from home? Like family problems, training the family? <laughs> um, occasionally, yes. Occasionally, uh, the worst is when you're on a conference call, especially with like a new client, and you know your three-year-old runs up the stairs to tell you something really important. Um, that's always a little awkward, and that does happen sometimes. But for the most part, uh, my kids are you know pretty well conditioned to you know hey if if daddy's upstairs working and we need to go up there we're quiet we come over and make sure he's not on his headset talking to someone. Um, so you know they're pretty good about that. But it did take a little bit of work to to get there. It was you know a learning experience for all of us. Um, other than that, you know the bad thing about working from home is that uh, I am pretty isolated. I do IM with other developers you know regularly throughout the day, so I'm not truly alone. But you don't have quite that same camaraderie that you do if you're in an office all the time, you know. So and I do miss that sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah, but you don't have the politics and the grapevine and the crap either. So that's that's true. There's there's pluses and minuses for sure. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of not politics in the home life, Greg. Don't you? You know, don't, plenty of politics at home. One of the um <laughs> one of the things I always say is it's not you know the kids get well. My kids are nine and thirteen now, and that that you know. Daddy's always work from home. That's just how I earn money. But um, it, it, it's stopping work that's the hardest thing. Not it's not working. It's it's you know making sure you spend the quality time with your family because it's so easy to sneak back into your office and do a little bit of work and answer some emails or you know be on vacation like I am right now recording podcasts and things like that. You know, so it's it's important to have some balance. That is a very good point. Yeah, and that's something that I also struggle with is saying, you know, hey, it's it's five o'clock. I really need to go downstairs for dinner instead of, you know, continuing to work on whatever problem I was working on. So, yeah, that's another negative for sure. Mm -hmm. So we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, Matt, what did we forget to ask you? Uh, honestly, I think you got just about everything. Um, I think you know everything about me now. Oh, <laughs> where should people go to if they want to learn more about you, Matt? So uh, one place is definitely Twitter. So I'm on there is just Matt Honeycutt. Uh, so they can reach out to me there. And I, I read anything that anyone tweets to me. So good and bad, you know, feel free to send me whatever you want. Um, the next best place is probably my blog. So that's over at trycatchfail.com, um, which I know you guys will put that in the show notes. But yeah, uh, you can contact me through there. And I do post quite a bit on there. Um, here lately, it's been a lot of JavaScript stuff. So if you don't like JavaScript, that's probably not uh, what you want to check out. Um, but, you know, if you are interested in JavaScript and modern web development, I try to post quite a bit on that. Uh, and, of course, I'm, I think I'm also on LinkedIn, too, as you guys found my bio on there. I don't do a whole lot on there, but, you know, you can reach out to me through that, too. Great. We'll put links to those and we'll put links to all those and then the plural site course as well in the show notes. Hey, should we move on to, uh, to some feedback then? Greg, some listener mail. Yeah. So the first one is from friend of the show, Richard Fennell. Um, Richard was saying, hi, I was listening to Radio TFS uh, with you all about VHS migration tools. Great show we did the other week. And we mentioned the limitation around RM pipelines not currently imported. Richard had the same problem when he did his uh, 2015 to VSTS migration at Christmas time. What a, what a great way to spend Christmas. He, he knows how to have fun. Um, so he wrote a quick PowerShell script to take an exported pipeline and transform it into the then current format. 
he, uh, Richard said this can then be bought, imported with some loose secrets, uh, with some loose secrets mostly, but addresses the worst issues. Anyway, this can then be imported, uh, but you need to like adjust secrets and things like that. But it, mo- it mostly can be imported pretty well. And um, we'll put a link to the the in the show notes to his blog post about it with the code on GitHub. Um, and um, yeah, he's saying he's not. You know, it might people have might have different uh, success may vary, but uh, worth giving it a, a, a try anyway. And um, you know. Uh, thanks, Richard, and uh, the thoughts to everybody from the show. Hope everything's well with you. Thanks. Another email we got was from Danko Valkov. And uh, <laughs> uh, you know, let me read it out here. First, uh, I really love your show. I listened to more than 15 episodes in a single trip. Wow. Uh, that's a lot of Radio TFS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had to kind of give us a hard time. I don't think my about- much, you know? I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> well, he had to give us a hard time about our – uh, a website. Oh, and it, I Dan see. Hellum. This is a passive-aggressive uh, hint that I should need to hurry up and rewrite the website. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> yeah, he just it's just because the titles were a little bit long, so Dan's uh, name got kind of mangled in the site. And I basically replied back to Danko that we kind of hated Dan, so we just put him, you know, in the, in the basement. But uh, And, of course, he then Danko replies back that made fun of me, mispronouncing um, – Dan's last name, but uh, yeah, you know what? We are who we are. Last piece of uh, feedback. You know, we're still doing the sticker thing. Send us a tweet. Uh, we'll have the, all of our um, uh, profiles, the names uh, in the show notes, but at gduncan411, at Martin Woodward. Send us a tweet and uh, we'll send you some stickers. And, and Carlo did that. And we sent him, and he asked not only for himself, but some of his friends wanted some stickers too. So I loaded up with some extra. Uh, stickers and he tweeted back both the unboxing of the stickers as well as them having a awesome place on his laptop so carlo thank you for listening and i hope you enjoy the stickers and i hope all your friends enjoy the stickers so you guys want to send us some feedback you like what we do don't like what we do want to give us a shout out want to make fun of us or our website send us an email radio tfs at outlook.com on Twitter, at Radio TFS, or on Facebook as well, slash Radio TFS, and voicemail, one 8379 and you could be part of the show. Now, I played the voicemail last week, and I had a couple of reports that a lot of people couldn't hear it, uh, but we'll make sure, if you leave us that voicemail and the say for work, we'll get you on the show. Give us your feedback. Uh, again, feedback, just like, you know, Brian said. We want your feedback. We'll take action on that feedback where at all possible. Matt, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, it's really interesting, Matt. Hey, thank, thank you, you guys much. very much. for. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been great chatting with you. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Radio TFS. Radio TFS.